0: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at
2: AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company SI and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
4: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast. I am Gary Gramling. He is Connor Orr. And uh Connor. I love when Sunday night football is a great game with a great finish, but I also, I I hate when Sunday night football is a great game and and a great finish because uh, I'm just on no sleep. You can't sleep after a game like
6: that.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I decided to
6: give myself a hard out at halftime and then just no matter what, wake up super early in the morning and watch the rest of the game. And I've done that with... Every Sunday night game lately that I have not had to write off of directly. So, you know, I just, I I feel like that's the better way to do it. Just mentally disengage, and then that way you're ready to go for a great third third and fourth quarter, which I I was able to see early this morning.
5: Man, that might be the way to go. Maybe just, maybe just full game on...
6: That was just it was incredible. Like uh, it was it was a heavyweight fight. It was you know the best at their best. You know Jamal Adams taking over that game the way that he did. DK Metcalf and uh, you know it it was just incredible. Cam Newton continuing to play phenomenally well. So this is uh, yeah. I don't blame you. I wouldn't have been able to sleep either.
5: Well, we'll uh, we'll get to Cam in a second. Let's start with the Seahawks' offensive side of the ball here. Uh, again, Russ, lots of throwing, lots of early down throwing. That's what we're seeing this year from Seattle, and I think everyone's pretty uh, pretty excited about uh, the, the food that Russ is making at this point, as as the as the kids call it. <laughs> um, a couple of really neat play designs that, and look, I, I'm, uh, Brian Schottenheimer takes his heat and rightfully so in, in the past, but uh, he did a couple of neat things here. One of them was that sort of hidden receiver type of play that they use in the red zone to get Freddie Swain that uh, uh, that easy walk in touchdown, and uh, the other one, look, Andy Benoit and I had had talked about a couple times this offseason. Uh, you're going to see it a lot more this season. These these inside upfield releases by running backs especially down in the red zone and that's what you saw from chris carson chris carson is becoming a more diverse weapon in the passing game which i don't know if anyone you know it, it wasn't completely out of the question that it could happen but i don't you know I, I didn't think it would happen this quickly and you saw carson just you know he he beats adrian phillips on you know phillips thinks he's going to the flat carson just turns it upfield and it's just a, it's an easy just lob pitch and catch touchdown and you know, Seahawks scored touchdowns in this game. That's that's kind of what it came down to in the end. Uh, they they when they had scoring opportunities, they put six seven points on the board.
6: Brian Schottenheimer is, like, your friend in high school, like, the last, like, the guy who discovered LCD sound system, like, 20 years after the rest of you guys did, and he's just like, oh, my God, did you guys hear this? It's like, yeah, you know, we, we've been running play action for 20 years, Brian, you know, we've been, uh, we've been doing some of this stuff for a long time. Kudos to him for finally, like, channeling all this into something. I think the 2010 Jets would have liked this version of Brian Schottenheimer, um, but uh, just didn't get it, unfortunately. If you remember, back then, he was knocking on the doorstep of becoming an NFL head coach. I mean, he was one goal line play call away from becoming maybe the head coach of uh, maybe the Panthers instead of Ron Rivera at the time. And wow, what if history have changed uh, at that point, but he's coming into his own as a coordinator. Finally, Um, all it took was the, uh, the loud fist rattling of an entire (laughs) fan base and your quarterback just like willing himself to become the greatest athlete in the NFL. And then it's like, okay, well now I can start to work with this a little bit and get a little creative.
5: DK Metcalf versus Stefan Gilmore was uh, I mean that was that, that was a classic battle here and look DK Metcalf gets the win in this one uh, both his team won and and he he overall won the battle here. I will say in Stefan Gilmore's defense and not that Stefan Gilmore, the reigning defensive uh, player of the year needs a defense from me but uh, the touchdown that DK Metcalf scored the 54yard touchdown. I don't know if there's a defensive back in the league who could have no. guarded him on that play. And it was so, it, it was at an empty formation. Uh, and, you know, Metcalf basically just, it, it's it's like a downfield two-way go. And, you know, he took took one step to the post. Gilmore had to respect it enough. And then, you know, Gilmore had, or excuse me, Metcalf heads the outside. And uh, Gilmore did recover. And Russell just drops a throw in. Gilmore just misses it. Metcalf catches it. And that's, that's how you score a touchdown there.
6: Yeah, when you kind of cross leverages like that, you know, like Metcalf did, and and at that size, you just naturally have another gear that, with your size and your stride length that another cornerback is not going to have in the NFL. There's not a version of DK Metcalf playing cornerback in the NFL, so there's not really much you can do about it, but you can't call that play over and over again. It was the perfect time to dial it up. It was a great shot, and it was a perfect throw. Um, As we all know, Russ is arguably the best deep ball thrower in the NFL right now. Um, And it's just a match made in heaven. And, you know, I saw after the game, Daniel Jeremiah kind of, uh, who is the draft analyst for NFL network saying how the heck, was DK Metcalf not a first-round pick? You know, this seems ridiculous, but I, I think he's in the perfect situation for him too. I think if DK Metcalf was drafted by the Jets, we'd be like, "Wow, what a ridiculous idea that was for them to draft DK Metcalf!" You know,
5: <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens to Denzel Mims over the next uh, yeah. couple of years. Poor guy. Uh, yeah, that was it. the other thing on that play. It, it was it was out of empty, and there was just really no heat on Russ there. It was it was kind of a kind of a mush rush type of a situation by the Patriots, and sort of only three guys really going. After after Russ on that one, but had the time and and uh, again that that is DK Metcalf with that speed and size and uh, Russ dropping that throw in. there's not a whole lot you can do about it as a defensive back. So please uh, pity Stefan Gilmore on this Monday morning. Uh, Jamal Adams, look, unbelievable. The, the 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 reason I was down on the Seahawks coming into the year uh, is because I think this defense has issues. They have no pass rush unless Jamal Adams blitzes, in which case all of a sudden they, they, they have a, a very good pass rusher. Uh, but look, he he changed the complexion of this game a couple of times. And a lot of people say like, oh, well, he gave up, you know, he gave the big catch to Julian and Again, a, a, just a phenomenal catch and throw that there's not a whole lot he could have done about. But uh, boy, Jamal Adams on the blitz is just an absolute game changer at this point.
6: Yeah, that play where he like got through the middle of the Patriots offensive line and then caught Cam from behind, I mean, illustrates uh, the breadth of his ability. And it was just a tremendous play. And I think that you're, you're hearing those arguments now more and more where is it more financially prudent to load up on pass rushers and hope that they get there before the ball gets out and then your cornerbacks are bad or is it better to load up on coverage and then assume that that's going to make your pass rush better and I think that that's what Seattle is doing is you know they're they're hoping that the way that these guys are playing I mean we saw Quentin Dunbar make a great play last night and and jump a ball too so I, I think that they're hoping that these guys evolve and Jamal Adams is sort of the cherry on top of this that makes it all work but his ability just to be all over the field and their ability to hide him in the scheme, which they were doing a lot last night and just like sort of mixing him in with the linebackers, letting him kind of shoot off from different places. I mean, that is the difference in a seven point game. I mean, a guy like that essentially won you that game last night. If you try to stack up all the things that you had before the the, uh, start of the season, if they didn't have Jamal Adams, they're not winning that game last night. They lose that game 30
5: to 28. Well you mentioned the you know when he chased down Cam on that uh, on that blitz in the red zone. I mean there's no way you can account for him on that play if you're Cam Newton. He he was lined up in like a traditional safety spot and came all the way down and 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 made a play and there's just not a there's not a whole lot in offense can plan for in that scenario there. It is just a an incredible athlete making a great play. Uh speaking of which, Cam Newton uh working on his uh minimum wage salary here for the Patriots ends up delivering a <laughs> You know, it was kind of like, well, can can they really get this passing game going if they have to? And and again, like I said, the Seahawks, they, they just don't heat up quarterbacks very much. But, uh, I mean, Cam was just on point all night. He had a couple of just, uh, along with the downfield stuff, he had a couple of great ball placement throws. Uh, there, there was a, there was an out to Jacoby Myers that was just put in the absolute perfect spot on a third down. Uh, his one mistake, look, Quentin Dunbar almost got him for a pick six. Uh, he did the same thing later, and Dunbar did get him for an interception on that one. I, I was wondering if they were setting up Dunbar for a double move since since Cam did have time uh, all night. But if they were, it just never came to fruition later, uh, later down the line. But I mean... Three ninety-seven. He he rushes for another forty-seven. Accounts for all but twenty yards of their offense in this one. It just uh, I mean, he was transcendent. It, it, it was it was classic Cam Newton in this one.
6: Yeah, and at this point, it's. It's obvious that he's still got it. I mean, it's obvious that he's still a great player. Um, I think anybody who didn't pick the Patriots to win the AFC East, uh, no matter how good Buffalo looks, and we'll get to that, mm-hmm. um, is out of their minds. I mean, Bill Belichick with Cam Newton, being able to game plan the way that he's game planning after losing all the players that he lost, it, it's just uh, it's been a phenomenal uh, relationship. And he, he's been putting uh, some nice touch on those balls. The deep pass to Edelman while a great catch was also a a perfect touch throw. Um, And I like the fact that they're still like – Kind of trying to get Nikhil Harry going here. You know, a lot of these like medium range things they're using him out of the backfield or out of that kind of that bundled set where he can get balls and, and sort of get moving. He's not that kind of player, but I'm hoping that that means they're just sort of pushing the the snowball downhill here, and and before long he's going to be um, a, a sort of a really good sort of secret ingredient to this offense. But yeah, I mean Cam's Cam, and it sucks for the rest of the league that you know. I wrote this the day that it happened. I still don't understand how anybody was looking around and saying, uh, you know, okay, well, we'll just let it go. We'll let that guy go. Like, if you're the Broncos, if you're, you know, any of these teams, you know, why did you let the Patriots sign this guy? It's just ridiculous. Like, uh, and now we're looking at this rash of quarterback injuries coming out and, uh, and the best player available. I mean, God, you know, all these teams could have had it made, but... Instead, he's with the best coach in NFL history.
5: Chargers, Bears. That's uh, I'll leave it at that. That's my <laughs> list. Uh, what did uh, what did you think of the final play call?
6: I thought it was somewhat predictable, right? I mean, I think that if you're Seattle and you're having to guess what they do, it's it was their version of Marshawn at the goal line, right? And, but they gave it to Marshawn, right? They gave it to their biggest body, um, you know, a player that they – I mean, Cam is so good at navigating those – body fields you know and he's long and he's got abilities that you know he can go over the pile he can go under the pile he can go through the pile so it's okay i think it was probably if you looked at your odds spread out on every play call that you were going to have before the snap that was probably your best bet that said given how well seattle's defense was playing that day um kind of the guys that they added there um i don't know it uh I didn't love it, but I think by the end of the year, I think they'll have come up with something better.
5: There, there was something fitting about just eleven on eleven football, and and that look, that formation just looks so neat where it's it literally just nine guys across the line. And then, uh, you know, your fullback and, and cam behind it. Uh, I wish, and, and look, you're not going to keep it in your pocket forever. You're not anticipating that you're going to need it on, uh, on, on the last play of the game from the two yard line. But, uh, when they ran it earlier and it ended up being, uh, you know, Jacob Johnson, uh, the fullback slipped out and went into the end zone and cam flipped it to him. You wish that was still in your pocket at that point. And, mm-hmm. and that would have been, a uh, uh, perfect to run out at that point. But, uh, uh, I yeah, it, it it was. I didn't find it controversial at all. But you're right, it was predictable. And look, Seattle needed to make a play. It's kind of a you know who's going to execute here, and Seahawks executed.
6: And if you're Belichick, right, or if you're Josh McDaniels, what's the safe bet here? That yes, Seattle's been playing well, but it's week two. You have no preseason. Tackling is still at a premium. Guys are missing tackles um, at a tremendous rate. You have the biggest quarterback like in NFL history. Um, you know. Run run it in. You know, I I think that makes sense. You know, I think if I was calling the plays, I would have done close to the same thing. You know, Cam is a defensive end with the football and he's hard to bring down and people still aren't warm to tackling. So I, I, I would have done the same thing.
5: All right, let's go. Uh, let's go, Chiefs Chargers. Here ends up being a thriller. Harrison Butker just makes kick after def- kick after kick after kick to win it in overtime for the Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs, by the way, now twenty-eight and three versus division opponents <laughs> since uh, twenty fifteen, which is it, it, uh, look. I, I, I wrote about it on Sunday morning. Uh, Belichick never had a run like that against the AFC East as much as he's dominated the AFC East. It's just a ridiculous domination of the AFC West at this point. But uh, the story of this one, Justin Herbert gets a surprise start Tyrod Taylor, some sort of chest injury during pregame warmups. All of a sudden Herbert is out on the field and uh, you know, yes, the chiefs did not prepare for him, but uh, you know, th- there were people talking, you know, do you red shirt Herbert for all of 2020? Uh, he looked real sharp in this one. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure how – you know, Anthony Lynn is is saying when Tyrod's 100%, he's going back to him. I, I don't see how that's possible unless you get, like, a complete meltdown from Herbert uh, in the next week or two if he's back out there.
6: Yeah, given he, he played the best team in football to the final minutes, and, I mean, it, his coach lost him the game. I mean, they should have gone for it on mm-hmm. fourth down, right? So, I mean, J- Justin Herbert had a chance to win that game, and he played well, I think – He missed some of those 50-50 balls on deep shots that just... Tyrod is a not that's not what he's going to give you you know what I'm saying like Tyrod is not going to provide that vertical element like Justin Herbert is and I, I you're right you can't go back now because at this point once you put a guy in there like that and once you kind of feel that that energy and that vibe you're stymieing progress if you put him back on the bench at this point you know you're that guy who is going to start stop start stop uh, a developmental career like the clock is ticking now and this is super unfortunate for Tyrod Taylor this is a second time in two years or three years that this has happened right where you sit for a game or you come out for a play or two and all of a sudden a rookie comes in and performs incredibly well I still think that he is a good quarterback and I think that there's a team out there that could probably use his services and make the playoffs with him as a quarterback that said if you're Lynn you just you don't have a choice anymore I mean that your first round pick played incredibly well against the Chiefs and so that's that I mean you you're, you know there, there's no turning back now
5: yeah, had one problematic interception by Herbert thrown across his body uh, downfield. Other than that, I mean, look that one that one scene throw to Keenan Allen, which uh, from the broadcast angle, we haven't seen the the coach film yet. From the broadcast angle, it looked like it was intercepted. Instead, uh, it was just perfectly placed in, into Keenan Allen's uh, hands. I mean, that that's the that is that kind of throw is a kind of throw that Tyrod's not even going to attempt out there, and and to have a guy who will not only uh, Take that risk-reward calculation and 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 sort of side more toward the reward, but also you know get the job done. Uh, for a team that signed a lot of aging veterans, good, but aging veterans, uh, you got to be a little bit more aggressive. And like you said, Connor, they they had to go for it on that fourth and inches in overtime because Patrick Mahomes was playing for the other team, and uh, it was kind of predictable at that point how this one was going to play out. I, I
6: get his... So if I, you walk through his calculus, Gus Bradley has coached pretty well against the Chiefs in his career. Um, I think that uh, LA has played them tough throughout um, the time that Lynn has been there. Um, Coverage-wise, they were doing well because you saw how many times Patrick Mahomes had to use his mobility in that game, which is not uh, you know typically a common feature for him. Um, but... Like, why? (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. Like, all the math backs you up, all of the momentum backs you up. Whatever you believe in at that point, you're going to be justified in going for it there. But I don't know. uh, You know, I, I think that's a tough way to lose just because you had your chance, you had this moment with your rookie quarterback. Uh, and Justin Herbert's a big guy. He could have snuck for that on fourth inches. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes, you lost your center, so there's there's that's part of the calculation there. And the Chiefs are very good up front, but I mean, you you don't have anything there in the uh, in the playbook. Like I remember. um Mike Patton used to tell me that, you know, off, you know, defensive and offensive coaches have, they group their play calls into different categories and there's, you know, third and long and there's all this stuff. But then there's also this folder that you have called Gotta Have It, right? And every week you go in there with 10 or 15 plays where it's fourth and inches and there's a weird circumstance and you need that inch, you know? And how did they not have that? You know, how is there not something that they're waving on the sidelines going, okay, this is our version of, you know, Philly special or the short yard? philly special whatever it is like how do you not have something there uh to go for it i i I don't know it just uh it, it boggles the mind
5: Look, this was two seasons ago. They they went to Kansas City on a Thursday night and went for two, down one yeah. in the final second. It's not to, like he's not an aggressive game. guy. Yeah.
6: You know, And in yeah. that game, if you remember, there were tons of circus plays. Like I think Mike Williams ran one in. Um, there was like that flip back toss to Mike Williams, if I'm remembering that game correctly. And he was hyper aggressive in that game. And I don't understand why you all of a sudden started sitting on it like that.
5: Uh, the only real justification, and there's no real justification, but the, the only possible uh, justification uh, is, look, coverage was good. Joey Bosa was also dominant, dominant in this game. Uh, I mean, they were, this was, if you're wondering how the Chiefs only ended up getting 20 points this game, uh, it was Bosa. It was Mitchell Schwartz just had it handed to him, which you don't see very often. And uh, Eric Fisher had his issues on the other side of the line, but. Uh, this Chargers pass rush, we wondered if it was just, you know, a matter of facing the Bengals last week when they dominated, but they dominated a, a really good offensive line this week. Yeah.
6: Rough day for the Bosa family all around, but good day for, uh, the Joe Bosa in, uh, in LA. <laughs>
5: Cowboys, Cowboys Falcons, which, uh, I mean, I don't know. This was, this was the stupidest game, uh, I've seen in a long time. Poor Dan uh, Quinn, really entertaining A tremendous comeback by the Cowboys, but what a, just a series of just stupidity. I I don't know how else to to describe this point. Uh, Should mention Dallas, no Tyron Smith, no Lyle Collins in this one. Uh, So you go into it, you're, you're shorthanded. We've seen some of these Cowboys games where the offensive line is banged up in the past and they, they just, uh, they just completely uh, just just soil themselves and and just things completely collapse. Uh, you had three lost fumbles in the first quarter. They also failed on a fake punt. the The call was actually good. Uh, Chris Jones just just absolutely short hop the receiver on it, uh, which is why he's a punter. But that's how the first quarter starts. And you know they're they're down twenty points. They're down nineteen at halftime. And uh, you know they're just throwing it all over the place. And you can do that against the Falcons. Falcons can't cover anyone. I just I, I still can't believe the way this one wrapped up for Atlanta though. And and again, all the credit in the world to Dak for for pulling this one out with the with with what's going on up front with that offensive line, but um mind-boggling that the Falcons lost this game.
6: It all came down to the biggest off-season acquisition for the Dallas Cowboys, Bones Fossil. <laughs> the best, well, may, maybe the tied for the best special teams coordinator in the NFL. I, have, I still have no idea how the Rams let this guy go. Um, I mean, year in and year out is like one of the best special teams coordinators in football. And then you say, here, Mike McCarthy, you, you, take, you take this guy, you know, get him down there. Was uh, one of the guys on our coaching hot list, um, has been an interim head coach before. But man, I mean, the fake punt, um, like you said, it was there. Um, the onside kick was, you know, a really smart call. I don't know. I, I, the Cowboys save themselves from like imminent disaster while that whole division is terrible. You can't start and two like that in, 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 a, in a new era, especially if you're Mike McCarthy and you're doing none of the things that you promised you would do, um, as head coach. Um, so it was a, it was a good win for them. And I, I, you, you hate to say it for Atlanta, but barring some sort of major turnaround, you know, this, this probably sows, defeat for the dan quinn era which you know a, a lot of us i, I think thought was going to be successful i picked them to make the playoffs this year i think that he's a good coach and the way that this team operates just doesn't make any sense to me
5: they uh look it was situational football and their loss to seattle last week uh this week i mean it was it was it's the weird they they run a wildcat look on a a third and short from midfield uh, and it looks like they might be putting the game away in the fourth quarter. And Russell Gage just uh, – Russell Gage threw as, as good a pass as, as anyone not named Russell Wilson threw this week uh, or Patrick Holmes. Uh, and just absolutely drops into Julio Jones, who just drops a touchdown. And after that, it just sort of – you know I, I don't know. It, that felt like the last punch they had to throw on offense. And next thing you know, Cowboys are, are right back. That onside kick, it, it was – and, and again, you know, if, if you're going to hire John Fossil, you got to get his, uh, you got to get his kicker too. So they bring in Greg Zerline and it was just so weird. And I don't know, it's absurd that the Falcons didn't just fall on it and they waited for it to go with the 10 yards as if they felt that they could not recover the ball until it was 10 yards down the field. But uh, it was just such a strange scenario. It, it's, I, I've never really seen an onside kick like that. And uh I don't know. Sometimes you just put people in a weird situation and they don't quite know what to do.
6: Going back to, um, and, and this is another thing that's weird. I mean, so, uh, Jenny and I, in our last training camp trip, and I know that anybody who, um, has gone on an MMQB trip before and has read some of our journals and diaries, like, like, that is what gets Dan Quinn fired up is the obscurity of the rule book, like and and teaching that stuff. Like he used to have his PR guys come in and he would be tackling them for us and showing them, like you know, well this is the new tweak on the rule and so we have to do it exactly this way. And he's so hyper detail oriented that you know one of those things is just you know to get something by him like that is a strange sort of anomaly. But going back to the Seattle thing, it's the right time of year to call that. Right, you're not going to be able to cover everything in the offseason. And so you show a team something hyper weird like that in a pressure situation where they're already their bodies are cooking at a rate they're not used to cooking at in in the season and you and you throw them a curveball like that. It was brilliant. I mean, it was the right thing to do. Um, And you wonder if um, we're going to see more teams sort of take their shots earlier in the season now that they know they can sort of capitalize on these little moments.
5: I was going to say Falcons, usually the king of the onside kick here. They, mm-hmm. They've gotten at least young Hui Koo has, has gotten them at least three of them uh, that I can remember in the past, like, uh, uh, 10 games like or two so.
6: in one game, wasn't it? Or, mm-hmm. and yeah. then he
5: got another one last week. Yeah.
6: Well, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's good for Dallas that, you know, they're not, uh, you know, nobody's running away with this division. It seems like nobody cares to win a game. Um, in the nfc east except for the washington football team but at the same time um you know they look like probably the most dangerous team in the division far and away like at the through two weeks it it looks not even close that they're the the best contenders for that and the rest of that division is just falling apart at at an alarming rate
5: all right connor go away for a second it's now time to bring in Michael Fabiano of the SI Fantasy Podcast for the SI Fantasy segment presented by DraftKings. By the way, you, you can get Fabs whenever you want on the SI Fantasy Podcast feed. Go subscribe. You can do it right now. We'll wait. We'll be here when you get back. But, uh, man, Fabs, dark Monday morning here. This was a uh, <laughs> this is a rough day for fantasy owners everywhere. Unless Dude. you got Jordan Reed, I guess.
0: I'll tell you something, man. And I actually talked about him on uh, SiriusXM. Yesterday morning, because people are just desperate at this point, I have never seen a Sunday like that, ever, with so many big-name dudes get hurt on one level or another, from Saquon Barkley, who's injured and not likely to be back, to Devontae Adams. It was unreal. Raheem Mostert, everywhere you looked, a big-time fantasy player was getting injured. It sucked. And then the end of the day, even worse – James White is a late inactive because his parents got into a car accident and his father passed away. It was a just awful awful day uh for the National Football League in terms of the injuries and then that horrible news of James White.
5: Well, let's uh well, let let's try and find some optimism here. Let's uh let, let's get some solutions. Uh mm-hmm. early waiver wire look here. Uh we'll we'll start to, we'll start with the running backs like we always do.
0: And there's going to be a bunch. So Mostert going down means it's probably going to be Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon. If Mostert missed time, McKinnon is going to be the guy who's more widely available on the waiver wire. Three carries had 77 yards, a touchdown uh, and almost 14 points against the Jets. So he needs to be added. The Rams backfield is good. There's, there's certain backfields that are going to drive us nuts all season long. The Rams looks like it's going to be one of them week one. Oh, Malcolm Brown. Whoa. We got something here. Pick him up off the waiver wire. Week two. Uh, Cam Akers gets hurt. And uh, Malcolm Brown banged up, and it's Daryl Henderson who goes off. 14 touches, 121 yards, and uh, almost 21 <laughs> fantasy points. So that's that's a player you have to add, but I don't know how reliable he's going to be. And then yeah. you go to the Giants and Saquon. So Wayne Gallman's probably going to be the starter. He was inactive yesterday. He was a healthy scratch. But there's no way they're putting Deion Lewis in a in – a, starting role where he's going to have to work on early downs and uh, between the tackles, he averaged two yards a carry yesterday, which is gross. So both dudes need to be added. I would go with Gallman first, but I almost want to say pick up Devonta Freeman before either one of them, because Freeman's apparently going to visit the giants. And I'd be surprised if he didn't leave there um, and wasn't a, wasn't a member of that team because they're hurting. If they think they're going to compete in the NFC East, They got to sign somebody. They have to. It's not going to work with Gallman and Deion Lewis. So uh, Freeman's going to be worth a look. Joshua Kelly, who I talked about last week, love him. He was one of my deep sleepers in drafts. Mm -hmm. He had more carries than Eckler. He had more touches than Eckler. 23 carries, uh, 11.3 points. Got to get him in in, in most leagues, all leagues. He has basically taken over the Melvin Gordon role. And then Mike Davis, depending on how – badly Christian McCaffrey's ankle is. I mean it's crazy. Everybody got hurt. And then Miles Gaskin for Miami, not that he's any great shakes, but he's getting enough touches and snaps to at least be rostered in fantasy
5: leagues. He's he's healthy. That's, that's right. What it he's comes a warm body and he's point. healthy. Exactly. Yeah. Uh let's uh let's hit the receivers. Not quite the same carnage at receiver, but uh there's still some guys out there.
0: But we also had a lot of dudes hurt going into this week. So mm hmm it's just been a mess. Corey Davis needs to be added five targets, three catches, 36 yards, a touchdown, two straight games, uh, where he's been a very startable fantasy asset with AJ Brown out. We don't know when he's coming back, Uh, uh, Gage, man. I mean, this kid is just bananas. Good, right? Nine targets had nine catches last week, a touchdown, uh, against my beloved Dallas Cowboys, who, by the way, pulled out a win out of their keister. And, uh, He's, uh, But he's not going to – or the Cowboys are going to be in trouble next week against Seattle. Anyways, uh, he needs to be picked up across the board. Keelan Cole in Jacksonville, two straight games where he's been pretty good. It looks like he's the number Mm -hmm. two wide receiver there behind DJ Chark. So Cole is uh, is certainly a player to target. Adam Humphreys with A.J. Brown out, six targets, five catches, uh, almost 16 fantasy points against the Jaguars. And then Zach Paschal, uh, the rascal there in Indianapolis with Paris Campbell, out deep league option. Uh, Chase Claypool, also somebody that you can go out and grab off the waiver wire. Didn't have a lot of targets yesterday, but, boy, he made that one target count, and, and he's a playmaker. Pittsburgh's got a lot of playmakers in the passing game. And Big Ben, uh, he's he's got to be loving life right now because he's
5: got a lot of weapons. I was going to say, got to add on, Russell Gage should have had that uh, 40-something-yard touchdown pass going to his I stats I know, here.
0: exactly. Gage should have had that one, too. And you know what? I had Julio Jones going in a couple of leagues, and boom, Ooh. that was bad. He I, he I don't know if he had cramps the whole game or if he had some sort of injury, but he just wasn't right. And dude, Julio doesn't drop that pass. I mean, <laughs> Gage couldn't have thrown it any better, but it, it is what it is.
5: I was going to say, my first thought was wounded ego for uh, Julio on that one, but uh, 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 that Absolutely. That, that, that gauge throw was was positive. That was Antoine Randall stuff right there. Well, Tim uh, Tebow never threw better. a
0: pass that good in his life.
5: <laughs> let's uh, let's hit tight ends. Uh, look, Jordan Reed, but uh, George Kittle's going to be back at some point.
0: Right. And so when he comes back, then Jordan Reed's sort of going to be a secondary option. But uh, And the Niners will get healthier. But Boy, that team got wrecked. I mean, Garoppolo Mm -hmm. with the high ankle. Uh, But Jordan Reed was a player. I said, hey, man, if you need a tight end, I mean, you could do worse. And he performed well, two touchdowns in that game. So uh, it was targeted eight times. Johnny Smith's probably the best tight end to pick up off the wire this week. Five targets, four catches, 80 yards, two touchdowns, over 24 points. And Tennessee likes to use the tight end position, whether it's Delaney Walker or now Johnny Smith. Right, their offensive coordinator is a former tight ends uh, coach in Arthur Smith, so he needs to be added across the board. Mike Kosicki, who I didn't like yesterday because of the matchup, goes bananas, 11 targets, 130 in a game that ended up being a shootout, 27 points against the Bills. Not going to get that kind of production every single week, but at this point, like I'd rather have Mike Kosicki than Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski garbage at this point. He's mm-hmm. waiver wire fighter. And then Dalton Schultz now. If you think you're getting ten targets for nine catches, nine yards, a touchdown, and almost twenty two <laughs> points from Dalton Schultz every freaking week, then you're uh, you're, you're dreaming. And I'd and like to see that as a Cowboys fan, but it's not going to happen. But he's at least got to be added because Blake Jarwin was a sleeper for a lot of people out there, including me. He's he's out for the season with the injury, so Schultz is is now a rosterable asset. Now I, I'm not I'm not sure I'm playing him in week three against Seattle. Uh, they've got this dude named Jamal Adams who's, like, awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> Schultz has got a bad matchup, but, I mean, he's certainly a guy to pick up. Uh, Mo Cox had a big game kind of out of nowhere. So deep league until Jack Doyle comes back. And then Drew Sample r- with CJ Uzama injured. Hey, Joe Burrow liked to go to the tight end. And Drew Sample had a ton of targets, don't forget, on Thursday night.
5: Yeah, that's uh, it, it, the one thing with the with Dalton Schultz, kind of a game flow specialty there uh, with yesterday's performance. But I don't know, maybe it happens with Seattle. Maybe they, maybe they, no, I, I don't, I don't
0: even think it will. I think he's a bad play against Seattle. But I do feel like if you need a tight end, a lot of people roster two, and you know, if you've got Gronkowski who's just terrible right now, or if you've got Irv Smith, or if you've got Kyle Rudolph mm. as your tight end too. Then, hell, go out and get him and see what happens. What I always figure is, if I've got a roster spot and a guy's coming off a big game and he was utilized uh, heavily in, in the offense, right, I, even if I don't start him that week, it's still nice to have a guy like that rather than have a dude that seems like is not going to really produce for me like a Gronkowski who's got a big name but hasn't done anything.
5: Uh, quarterback market here. We uh, Are we talking Justin Herbert yet?
0: Well, Anthony Lynn said that if Tyrod's healthy, he's going to be the starter. So, mm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, in two QB leagues, definitely in super flex leagues, definitely in traditional leagues. I don't think so. Honestly, I I was not big on Herbert coming out of college. Okay. And I know he, he looked really good. He looked really good. I can give him all the credit in the world. He looked really good. It was one game in Kansas city. He didn't prepare for him. So uh, in your, in your traditional leagues, no, in, in re in, in these, in these leagues where you could start two quarterbacks. Absolutely. Ryan Tannehill, this dude's Rodney Dangerfield, man. He gets no respect. None. All he does is score fantasy points. Four touchdowns, almost 27 points against the Jaguars. Had a good week one. Dating back to week eight of last year, he's the QB four. He's got more points than Dak Prescott. And he's not rostered in every league, which is bananas. Joe Burrow. I mean, he had 100 pass attempts on Thursday night, but he looked good. I mean, this guy's got the it factor, and he's a, he is certainly rosterable in fantasy leagues. And the mustache, man. Gardner Minshew two games in a row. I mean, he's like top five in completion percentage among quarterbacks right now had 23 yesterday had over 20 in week one. It's funny because he ran that commercial. I think it was like with uh Bud light or somebody like that I can't remember what it was, where he said that if you draft me in the first round, you'll get a free case of beer and no one's going to draft Gardner Minshew in the first round, but he's playing pretty damn good, man. He's looking really good. And they got Miami coming up. So, that is certainly worth uh, a start uh, this, this upcoming week. And then Nick Mullins with Garoppolo out, two QB leagues. Same thing with Jeff Driscoll, who played pretty damn good yesterday against Pittsburgh. I mean, that was a surprise. And, and then you mentioned
5: Justin Herbert. Yeah, yeah. Driscoll, uh, Driscoll was a shocker. That uh, Driscoll had like, I don't remember who it
0: was against last year. He had a big game for Detroit last year when he was their backup. And you know, he got he got picked up off the waiver wire. Like he's not a bad quarterback as far as backups go, I guess, right? So if you're in a two QB league or a super flex league, and that dude's out there, they've got Tampa Bay coming up. And it's not a great matchup, and you could probably do better. But Drew Lock's going to be out a little bit. And uh, just looking at Denver's schedule, after they have Tampa, they got the Jets who suck, and then New England. You don't want to go there, and then Miami. So you got a couple of matchups where Driscoll may help you in a 2QB or Superflex League.
5: See, a lot of us who had uh, Steelers minus 7.5 were uh, sort of, sort of uh, wiping our hands, thought our afternoon was over when uh, Driscoll came on. but not. The, oh, not man, and how about,
0: how about the Niners-Jets game in the under? I thought that was a lock. And then Braxton <laughs> Berrios <laughs> catches a garbage-time touchdown from Darnold and ruins everything. Oh, well. Oh, man,
5: you can't, uh, you can't count out Braxton Berrios in the final two minutes of a 30-point uh, loss. Is that not
0: the worst team like that you've seen in a long time? I mean, they are garbage. I mean, with the injuries, with uh, the, the lack of weapons, I feel bad for Sam Darnold, but I feel good for him in a sense because next year he's going to probably be playing for like, the Raiders, and the Jets will have a new coach, and they'll have uh, Trevor Lawrence. And Darnold I... will be out of there. And, and
5: away from Adam Gase, the fantasy point stud ruiner. I was gonna say I, I can't remember the last time I saw a third and thirty plus get converted in a game and it was a run play. On a run fifty five yard run play run! and it was a look, Jerry McKinnon's good, but Jerry McKinnon's the number three back in, in San Francisco. That was uh uh that was fun. I'll we'll say imagine that.
0: Imagine what Jonathan Taylor is gonna do to this team next week. Right? Oh, They're playing boy. the Colts, I think. They're playing the Colts at at Indy. That's my yep. start of the week. Again, I Jonathan Taylor was my start of the week in week two. He'll be my start of the week this week, and then I probably can't even put him in my column anymore because it's too obvious. He's probably <laughs> too obvious already, but, I mean, he's he's had you know two games in the league. So, but, oh, my gosh. If you drafted Jonathan Taylor, you never want a guy to get hurt in Marlon Mack, but, boy, it is lined up perfectly for you. And then Naheem Hines, two of the top waiver wire pickups from week two, right, coming into this week, did nothing. Naheem Hines was invisible. He was on a milk carton and Benny Snell didn't play. And James Conner decided, Hey, I'm going to play and stay healthy while everyone's worried about me and, Mm -hmm. uh, and put up a good game. This is fantasy. football. This is the, I'll tell you this. And it, and it gets harder every year. This is with the COVID situation and everything else in the backfields. This is the toughest, toughest season to handicap fantasy football, especially in the running back position. It's been uh, brutal. I mean, I'm, I'm going gray. Uh, trying to figure out week-to-week week some of these backfields with Detroit and Los Angeles and Washington. I mean, there's a bunch. And it looks like Leonard Fournette's now the guy in Tampa Bay. Uh, Ronald Jones is, is, seems to be done, but who knows? It's tricky.
5: Well, look, that's, uh, that's why we got you around here at SI. Here. I know, uh, dude. Hey, I,
0: all I got is the data in front of me, man, and you just make predictions from there, and that's all you <laughs> could really do. But no one saw on Johnson leading the Lions in carries this past week, and he had a goal line opportunity. So, And look at Baltimore. Gus Edwards? Really? Mm-hmm. Gus Edwards leads the backfield and carries, really? You got Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins and Gus freaking the bus.
5: Yeah, good Gus luck. Gus the bus is back. Good we should have never counted him out. <laughs> that's, that's, that's our bad. All right, that's Babs, right. Uh, you and I will talk next week, but in the meantime, I will be listening to you on the SI Fantasy Podcast. Everyone should uh, head over, subscribe to that, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, Connor Orr, get back in here. All right, now that you're back, Connor, let's uh, let's let's go back to the NFC East here and uh, Rams Eagles. We'll start with the Rams side. It, 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 there's very encouraging stuff from this game and very discouraging stuff from this game. Uh, one of the encouraging things uh, continues to be uh, Sean McVay it's not a full-on reinvention of this offense but uh you know what had sort of baffled the 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 rams was these split safety looks and some of these cover four looks they had been getting over the last year and a half uh and you know maybe this is kind of the answer for it it's it's a lot more underneath stuff it's it's heavy in misdirection it's it's I mean, it's it's almost exclusively underneath here. And uh, and then it's just, you know, it's they continue to mix in a ton of different ball carriers. I mean, no one, you know, everyone utilizes the jet sweep at this point, but no one really gives it to their jet sweep guys as often as the Rams do. And so far, look, through two weeks, it is absolutely working. They absolutely out scheme the Eagles uh, in, in this one.
6: This was the Daryl Henderson game that I was waiting for for basically the majority of the last two seasons. Um, And while it took Cam Akers going down to get him in there, I think we're finally seeing a little bit of an idea of of what they had in mind um, in, in the post Girly era. But you're right. I mean, I would be fascinated to see McVay with a different quarterback because I do think that offense would change dramatically. But at this moment, it's perfectly complementing all the personnel and I think that that's what they're doing. I mean, they're winning games. There's three teams that are 2-0 and right now um, in their division but there's they're hanging in there and I think that the Super Bowl team has been picked apart. I think that we are not long from seeing maybe a, a transition at the general manager position at some point there. But for right now, I mean, it's working and it's because you have one of the brightest coaches in the NFL. Who's, who's so good at those sort of um, those hyper small details.
5: Yeah. Six different ball carriers, excluding Jared golf. Uh, so six different design ball carriers in this game. And it's just, it's just neat. Uh, <laughs> The Eagles, on the other hand, all out of sorts at this point, uh, obviously, I mean, look, they, they, their offensive line got dominated because of injuries and and, and because Washington is good up front last week. Uh, this week, it was not a, a dominant game recording performance by Aaron Donald or anything like that. It's just it's it's in offense. It's just completely out of sorts. Uh, Carson Wentz, even when the pocket is clean and he really I mean, you watch him. It's it's not really mechanical issues. Uh, He's just erratic right now. Uh, He is, uh, you know, he 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 sailed a a couple of passes high and wide for no particular reason, it seemed like Uh, the one that everyone's kind of uh, worked up about. Was an interception uh, that came. Boy, what was that? Fourth quarter or third quarter? Second half. I'll just I'll call it that for now. Um, it was an interception. Uh, the 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 always uh, controversial. At this one, JJ Arthego Whiteside, who had a third down drop early in this game, uh, still yet to have a catch on the season, filling in for Alshon Jeffrey. But um, you know, Ar- Arthego Whiteside won on on a on a skinny post. And the throw was just a little bit late, uh, a little bit underthrown. but the th- throw was just a tad late. But I don't know, as I was watching it, I was just kind of wondering, and I know I'm a Carson Wentz apologist. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, do, does he trust, does he trust that Ortega Whiteside is going to get uh, to the right spot? Is going to run this route the way it's supposed to be run? Or does he have to wait and see it? Because that was Arthago Whiteside's problem as a rookie. He just wasn't running routes properly. Uh but throw comes out a touch late. You get a uh, a really good defensive play by Darius Williams uh, coming across his backside defender and intercepting the pass, and, and that sort of changed the complexion of that game a little bit. When it looked like the Eagles might uh, get something going early in the uh, early in the third quarter, it was the third quarter. It wasn't even close to the fourth quarter.
6: Yeah, I this team just looks so out of ideas, which is strange because if you go back two years. Like, I, I would have told you that the Eagles had one of the deepest rosters in football and were primed to keep sort of, you know, re-upping that title defense and, and maybe not winning the Super Bowl, but being um, hyper relevant year in and year out. And I guess they were last year. They were probably one Carson Wentz injury away from going into the second round of the playoffs. But at this point, everything just looks scattershot. And it's uh, I, I don't know why. I mean, they have a good coaching staff. They have a coaching staff that is hyper close with Carson Wentz like they've done everything to build around him and maybe you're finally starting to see what you miss in Frank Reich who was sort of a huge part of that um, that Super Bowl team that they're building up but you and I've talked about this before you bring in guys like uh, you know Rich Scangarello in the offseason who had a lot to do with Drew, D- Drew Lock's development in Denver you would think that there would be these similar things there I think Press Taylor's a good coach too um, but you're wondering like why is it not working out? I mean, I know that they've had some weird, strange upheaval on the offensive side. They fired two coaches last year, even though it seemed like Doug Peterson didn't want to, but if you're a, I think if you're a college coach and you're looking at the NFL and ignoring kind of all the other stuff that's going on, if you couldn't pick Bill Belichick, where would you want your rookie quarterback to go and, and to have the most success? And I would still pick the Eagles in the top three just because you have all those things that are set up for him to be good, you know, and I, I don't know why. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's a confidence thing. Um you know maybe he just takes some time to get going but we saw that player last year when that entire team was ravaged by injuries like basically yeah. forcing the eagles into the playoffs with Boston Scott as his top offensive weapon and now it's like what are you doing I, I don't know it just seems the whole thing seems very strange
5: yeah yeah it was better on paper than it was late last year and and yet through two weeks, the product on the field is is much, much worse. So uh, we'll see. Certainly have time to turn it around in the division that no one really seems to uh, <laughs> want to win. Uh, let's go. I mean, look, we talk about continuity and, and, you know, it's going to be tough to break in, you know, new guys and chemistry, et cetera, et cetera. This year, uh, we'll go to down to Miami where the bills, uh, a bit of a dog fight with the dolphins here, but they turn it on in the fourth quarter and they do it with downfield passing. Now, Byron Jones went down in this game. So all of a sudden that, uh, you know, that dolphin secondary is very inviting with some of the big plays, but you know, Josh Allen, the issue last year and as a rookie was downfield accuracy. Uh, last week against the Jets, it was it was more dink and dunk stuff. He he got stuff downfield, but they they didn't really try it very often. And they really just opened it up in uh, in the fourth quarter in this game. He leads two touchdown drives and just sort of rolls up big play after big play here. And it's kind of the uh, you know it 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 feels like it's coming to fruition uh, though i mean look we'll find out he's gonna he's gonna have to beat new england he's gonna have to uh you know win some of these other games here but uh so far i mean it's just incredibly encouraging what josh allen is doing uh now that he's sort of rounded out this group of weapons with Stefan diggs
6: everybody this offseason was looking for the quarterback guru and only one team interviewed Brian Dable like and to me it blows my mind that like Josh Allen was Josh Allen two years ago like he was uh, you know arguably the most erratic of those guys save for Josh Rosen in that quarterback class and I think if you put him on two thirds of the rosters in the NFL like he's in Mitch Trubisky territory right now but instead he is like dominating games taking over games they've honed the deep ball um, the offense is just brilliantly designed around him and then you have the functional mobility aspect of it it's like a uh, I keep using this comparison but it's like this guy's like a faster Alex Smith or a, you know whatever Alex Smith I think it's a tougher Alex Smith right it's a stronger Alex Smith where you don't use it all the time but you understand that it's a sort of a little weapon you have in your hip pocket and, and you you and you get those tough yards, but I'm I'm amazed. I think that this is uh, incredible. I regret uh, greatly picking them to go seven and nine this year, um, and I, I just think that <laughs> um, while well, you start off with the Jets and the Dolphins, right? So you slow your roll a little bit. You wait to see what happens when they get um, you know pushed back on a little bit. But right now, I, I think that that was. The best job, and who would have guessed that, right? That the Bills, out of all those teams at the top of that draft, the Browns with Baker Mayfield, the Jets and Sam Darnold, um, the Cardinals and Rosen, that the the Bills were going to be the team that put the most work, effort, time, uh, design into elevating that quarterback from that class, and they've done a fantastic job.
5: Yeah, and, and look, if you looked at the rosters when they each drafted those quarterbacks, the Bills probably had the uh, most sparse supporting cast for their quarterback at that point. No have,
6: offensive line. They didn't have an yeah. offensive line. Yeah, it was incredible.
5: They, they have they have built it the right way here. Uh, uh, and again, uh, uh, look, it's the Jets, it's the Dolphins. Uh, they haven't beaten world beaters at this point. But uh, I always think there's something to be said for uh, sort of getting going and and taking advantage of some of these some of these teams earlier and it's kind of like you know you start a video game and the first level not that difficult and uh, but you know it's if you jumped into uh you know level seven then uh you got some problems this is a terrible metaphor but uh, i'm just gonna no stick no with no it you, don't, it up. you
6: don't you don't start tyson punch out with soda popinski right you start with glass joe and it makes you feel good and it gets you into the game and it makes you believe that you can get all the way to mike tyson or uh what was he called in the other versions where they didn't have the licensing rights
5: it's mr dream mr
6: dream yeah that's right
5: yeah yeah Yeah. i i uh i think i told you i broke my uh my Wii U because of Soda Popinski just I was, shattered the tablet I brought tablet that up screen.
6: specifically so you'd have to tell the story on the podcast. Yeah. Yep.
5: Yep. <laughs> Had to explain it to my kids the next morning why why I broke the thing that uh, they watch TV on.
6: Dad of the year. <laughs>
5: <laughs> That's uh, before the county comes to take my kids away. Let's go to uh, 49ers Jets. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about this game. I mean, look, the, the Jets are... We knew they were going to be bad. They look like they might be just completely non-competitive all season at this point. I mean, this this game started with Rashim Mostert just running 80 yards for a touchdown, uh, which he does sometimes, but usually just not on the first play from scrimmage, uh, completely untouched. But uh, what we should talk about in this one, so many more injuries for the 49ers. Mostert does go down later in the game. Garoppolo, Garoppolo. Uh, tweaked it sounds like his ankle he did stay in for the rest of the first half they pulled him at halftime it might have just been precautionary at that point because the the Jets were just not competitive so why um leave your hobbled starting quarterback out there but the big one was Nick Bosa and and look when we woke up Sunday morning uh I was still of the mind that once you get George Kittle back and Debo Samuel is back and and you know the the 49ers are relatively healthy as maybe some of these other teams uh start to deal with their own injuries I still thought the 49ers were the best team in the NFC. Bosa going down really changes that calculus. I mean, I don't think they're going to drop to the levels you saw in 2018 when they had that historically low takeaway rate. I mean, some of that was luck, but... uh, a lot of that turnaround last year was the fact that the front four was so dominant and uh, DeForest Buckner, not there anymore. Uh, Javon Kinlaw might be a good one down the line. He's, he's obviously not at Buckner's level yet, but Nick Bosa, I mean, this is, I feel like this might've been the one guy that they just couldn't have afforded to lose. And that includes the quarterback. That includes George Kittle. I, I just don't think this defense is capable of playing at the elite level that they were at.
6: Yeah, I mean it's no secret that that defense was middling until Bosa came there, right? It was just like you were laying your talent on top of talent on top of talent, and then finally he was sort of that that wrecking ball that pushed everything over the edge. But um, I think that you're fortunate still. I mean, you know, D Ford was a scratch before that game, but at some point this season, even when you don't have Bosa, you're going to have D Ford, you're going to have um, Eric Armstead, and you're going to have Javon Kinlaw, which is better still than I think some other teams have, but Um, I think this is a massive challenge now for Robert Sala, who, you know, everyone was like, why didn't this guy get a job in the last off season? Well, I think now's the time. Now's the time that you lock that in, right? Because you don't have Richard Sherman, you don't have Bosa. You basically have all of your best players on defense, the guys that propelled you to the Super Bowl last year. Everybody's gone. Um you get the Giants next week, which is another gift, and then all of a sudden you got to go get the rest of those teams in the division and everybody's running away with that right now. I mean the rest of the division is 2 and 0. So we'll see what he does there, but yeah, I mean that's that's a heartbreaker. Um and then on the other side, it's it's probably Gasewatch at this point, right? I mean, um, at, at some point, Greg Williams will be the interim head coach for every NFL team, so how soon will it be uh, for the Jets? Um, but it's a sh- I, I don't know about you, but I, I was bummed. I was quietly psyched about that hire when it happened. I thought it was a great idea. Um, I heard a great stat the other day that he has never – not beat his Pythagorean win loss preseason in any, so yeah, so in every single season that he's coached, he has coached the team to a better record than their Pythagorean win loss uh, preseason, which is good. Um, and I thought that, you know, maybe you invest in him and you give him the time and everything like that. But Christopher Johnson is not going to be able to th- this is a this is an organization that bends to the will of public opinion. They have for years, mm-hmm. and I don't think that they will be able to keep him, for the remainder of this season, sadly, I, I thought it was going to work out.
5: Yeah, and look, losing all their leadership on uh, on the defensive side of the ball certainly didn't uh, help things out. And the offense just it's it's not there yet. I still I still make the point. Uh, he has overseen bottom 5-10 to 10 rosters in the league throughout his career as a head coach. He is 20-19 and 19 when his starting quarterback is in the lineup uh, and I'm kind of uh, if they do let him go, I hope they do it this week because then I can hold on to that stat winning record. Winning record <laughs> with terrible teams uh, when his quarterback is in the lineup.
6: Let and, me ask uh, you they, this though, Gary. Yeah. They're 0-2 and there does not seem to be a lot of bright prospects on the horizon. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mekhi Becton's playing well but mm-hmm. they're 0-2 If they bottom out here um, and you're starting to look at it and you kind of see all the teams that at least have a chance to recover from 0 2, what do you do if you're in contention for Trevor Lawrence? If you're the Jets?
5: I think if you're the Jets, you have to take Trevor Lawrence. You have to take him, right? And then. If you were there, yep.
6: And then you got to get rid of Sam Darnold and, you know, then you got to get a a new coaching staff again. You have no choice there, right? You can't bring Trevor Lawrence back with Adam Gase. And I, like, I. All of a sudden, I'm going to write about this for later this week. But you look at the teams that are starting to sink to the bottom there, and a lot like there's going to be some uncomfortable decisions that have to be made there. And I think the Jets are one of them that are certainly leading the uh, the pole position now that the Jaguars are awesome. So
5: it's it's funny you mention that because whenever I look at uh, we're going to talk about Bucks Panthers now. Whenever I think about uh, Jason Light, uh, I mean, how many guys have a chance to bring in the number one overall pick and take a quarterback, and that quarterback fails, and then you you Stay on, and and I'm I'm not advocating that you know they should have moved on from Jason Light, uh, but yeah, it, it's just kind of wild that he sort of got this second life here with the Bucs and and gets to move on to the the Tom Brady era. And Brady was a uh, Brady w- was much better in this one, and uh, the the numbers won't be eye popping. They actually LaShawn McCoy dropped a wide open touchdown. Uh, Scotty Miller dropped a wide open touchdown. Uh, Cyril Grayson had a, just uh, hilarious, uh, it, it would have been, if not a touchdown, it was going to be like a 30 or 40 yard, uh, play downfield. And just, I, I, he stumbled and then the thing just bounced off of his face. Uh, so Brady could have had bigger numbers in this one, but look, I mean, this is what Tampa should have done. Uh, Panthers are in full on rebuild mode. They just don't have anywhere near the talent level that Tampa has. And, and the bucks should go in there and, and handle a team like this.
6: Yeah, uh, and I think that it was too soon. Um, I threw my hands up because I was just sick of getting tweets from Buccaneers fans and saying, "Okay, you guys are right. This team is fine." <laughs> but um, you know, it it was good. I mean, you saw some of the relationship throws there, um, namely that that back shoulder, back shoulder pass yep. to Mike Evans. That's something that if you can develop that, is so deadly that that carries you through a season. I mean, Eli Manning won a Super Bowl in two thousand seven on back shoulder throws to Plexico Burris. You know. In Figuring that out is just a weapon that other cornerbacks can't defend. But that said, I would like to see them against a little bit more of a challenging opponent. I think they have Denver next, so it's not like we're going to get that right away. But um, yeah, I saw Tom Brady go deep. You know, deep middle, um, deep sideline. He uh, looked like a little bit of a strenuous effort, but it was good. But I think that what a lot of people are missing here is what makes this team good. A is the defense. Still, I mean, this is still a great defense with a ton of playmakers. And B, I think it was a really good idea to load up on fresh legs. Um, you know, Leonard Fournette talked about like I've never felt this good going into a fourth quarter in my entire life. Yeah, I mean, I'm carrying the ball thirty-five times a game, and so you know, you basically have him as your Legarrette Blunt sort of closer back in this offense now and then you can run you know Ronald Jones in the first quarter you know you can pepper some of these guys in and I think that that was maybe one of the better things that they've done for themselves this offseason because you know Brady's going to be Brady and there's going to be these um, spurts of magic but then you know you're going to need to move the ball in a functional way as well and I think that we saw that kind of really stand out this weekend.
5: Yeah, they, uh, they were in eight plays from scrimmage in the final 10 minutes. Five of them were four net rushing attempts, uh, and he goes for 84 yards on those five attempts, including the uh, the game-sealing 46-yard touchdown run uh, to wrap that one up. So uh, all is probably well with the Bucks. Christian McCaffrey, tweaks his ankle in this one again and none of us thought the Panthers were, were going anywhere this year uh, but certainly they they are they are game Teddy Bridgewater uh, some uncharacteristic turnovers in the first half sort of did them in here but uh, they are of the teams that you mentioned that that are sinking to the bottom it feels like the Panthers are the team that are gonna just catch a couple people by surprise this year and end up going like five and eleven instead of two and fourteen
6: which is a bummer because that is where you want Trevor Lawrence, right? Yeah. You want him in Carolina. You want him with Joe Brady. Um, you know, you're developing those wide receivers. Christian McCaffrey is the ideal person to have for a rookie quarterback in the NFL because he's just so good um, in that medium range passing game. But. Man, uh, I I was thinking about that this weekend. It's like, you really, Teddy Bridgewater is also the perfect quarterback to have there during those moments. You let him challenge Trevor Lawrence in camp that first year and then, you know, kind of hand off the baton at some point. But yeah, you're right. They're good enough to win five games. And that's just going to be so unfortunate for them. You You wish that they would just be a little worse than they are right now.
5: Uh, Bears, Giants, and it, we'll, we'll start with the with the Bears side of this, and, and uh, Trubisky will get some heat for the second half and, and two interceptions in the second half and all that. He wasn't that bad, uh, I, but I'll, I'll say by the same token, his numbers were good in the first half. They moved the ball in the first half. They scored points in the first half. Uh, I will say this about Mitchell Trubisky's throws, though. They are almost end over end. I, I've never seen an NFL quarterback <laughs> with the ball coming out of his hand like well, this. Boardle, where it's just early portals, right? Oh, boy. I, I feel like it's even more than that. I feel like it's almost intentional. <laughs> I know it's not intentional. <laughs> it makes no sense. But I wonder if he's reached a point where he's like sort of calibrating uh, for for this exaggerated wobble on every throw uh, because it was getting to the right spots in the first half. And, and granted, the Giants are not very good in coverage, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's. It's, the points are getting put on the board here.
6: This is where the Bears, at this point, you cut your losses and you sign Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> and you try and you try to you try to build on this 2-0 start. But I you know, I, I've said this on other podcasts before. I'm happy that he's winning games. I think that this guy has been through a mental firestorm, and I think it's super fortunate that you get a, the worst fourth quarter coach in the NFL in Matt Patricia week one, and then B, uh, the Giants, which is the worst secondary in the NFL in week two, and all of a sudden you can build a little bit of confidence there. Like if you're Nagy, there's at least moments where you can say, hey, let's just do more of this or let's just call more of this. I don't know if they can survive like this in the long term, um, but that division's not really scaring anybody, so I don't know. But good for yeah. the Bears. I mean, they're at least I, – I I'm happy that Mitchell Trubisky has probably bought himself another five Five years in the NFL regardless of whether or not it's with the Bears someone will take another chance on him and he will be around for a
5: while uh other side of the ball here Daniel Jones look I thought Daniel Jones was uh admirable on monday night in a good way that's <laughs> not a consolation prize i i thought what he did against the steelers in a game where he had uh zero help up front and and no golden tate and saquon barkley obviously did very little on the ground in that game i i thought it was a uh, uh very impressive what he did i thought he was impressive in this one bringing the giants back uh after saquon barkley goes down uh sterling Shepard goes down mid-game and uh I think there's something to build on here. And I wonder if we'll look back in five years when this roster is set, if Daniel Jones is indeed still the guy at that point. And there haven't been like four regime changes. But uh, if they move this thing forward over the next couple of years and, and perhaps a, a, a different general manager is, is building it at that point. But uh, once the right pieces are around him, it just feels like it's a guy you can win with.
6: Yeah, his relationship with Slayton is good. Uh, I think that I picked Evan Ingram to be a surprise Pro Bowler this year. I think when you see them scheme him open, um, he's moving the ball for the offense. But this is, you know, you, you hate to say this and you hate to put it as bluntly as this, but this is all Dave Kettleman's fault. Like this is, you spent three, look at the Bills and how quickly they turned an offensive line around to put their team into the playoffs. This has been year four now of year three of his attempt to build an offensive line for his run first stop the run football team and they can't do it you've invested a first round pick a second round pick you traded Olivier Vernon for Kevin Zeitler and um, you made one of the largest tackle signings in free agent history and while Nate Solder isn't playing this year you know, your team can't be that bad. And they are. Um, and now that Saquon Barkley's down, I think it shows kind of nakedly how flawed this entire process was. Right. I mean, and it's fascinating because Joe Judge comes from the Patriots where you're built in a microeconomic way to win every single week in a different way. And Dave Gettleman was the complete opposite where I want to win this way and all the other teams are going to bend to our will and without Saquon we're going to see how tragically flawed that idea is because this team is another team like the Jets who might bottom out this year and all of a sudden find themselves accidentally in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes
5: yeah this one's much more interesting I'm not saying Daniel Jones is is better than Trevor Lawrence you probably do just have to take Trevor Lawrence at that point right and like I said you're not going to have a general manager who is who is tied to Daniel Jones if uh if it comes down to that but um I certainly feel better about Daniel. Part of it is the fact that they, you know, that they, they have uh, an additional year on, on Jones's rookie contract. So you have a little more time from that uh, uh, perspective, but uh, it would be interesting uh, when the decision ends up being Daniel Jones or Trey Lance, Daniel Jones or Justin Fields. And um, yeah. I, I feel like it's trending toward uh, Daniel Jones at this point, but that's, uh, I guess we're a ways off on that one. Um, Let's uh, let's go Ravens-Texans. I would have thought this one would have, like, been the first or second game we discuss on the show, Lamar Jackson versus Deshaun Watson. But uh, instead, it just turns out it's just two mismatched teams. And the the Ravens sort of cruise in this one. Uh, 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 Kiki Cutie uh, lost fumble, sort of put the Texans away early, it felt like. Uh, and then, you know, I, I don't know. There's just no... There's just no real juice here for for the Texans at this point. It feels like.
6: Yeah, I mean, they're probably trying to build off last season, where you know they started zero and four, and it worked out for them. You know, and then you get get the ball rolling. <laughs> and so Bill Bryan said, "Hey, why don't we try? Um, why don't we try some more of that again?" Uh, I've I talked to some people who have watched um, this team, and I think the idea was good uh, and novel going into the year, which was to get. Deshaun Watson into something a little bit more rhythmically, like he saw at Clemson. And that's why, you know, you can afford to kind of talk yourself into losing DeAndre Hopkins, but then getting a bunch of guys who can win one-on-one matchups and letting him spread the ball out and make decisions in that way. But yeah, it's just um, it's a situation that it's just not happening for them right now. That division got better. We all knew that there was going to be this sort of um, bottling up there, but uh, who knows? And, and, and the Ravens are just still excellent. I mean, this is a team that is going to be harder and harder to beat the better Lamar Jackson gets. And there's just been some things that he does every week that I think are just blowing people out of the water.
5: And I just want to say this is a miscellaneous note from this game, but I I saw this twice this week. It happened on Thursday night and it happened in this game. Uh, A pet peeve of mine are, are, you know, everyone should be using jet motion. Everyone should be doing that. Uh, It bothers me when you put these guys in jet motion, they don't get the ball and then they just, they they're done with the play. Like yeah, they like fade out to the sidelines. And yes, yeah. they 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 their back is turned to the quarterback as they slowly jog toward the sideline to become a, a you know a, a checkdown option if the play lasts eleven seconds. But um, what defenses are doing is one. The guy covering the jet motion guy is usually a pretty good cover guy, usually cornerback. Uh, and what teams are doing, they're just saying, okay, well, let's drop this cornerback into coverage. He's a free defender now. That's what you saw with Marcus Peters uh, on his interception. Randall Cobb goes jet motion, takes himself out of the play. Peters drops back and ends up getting a backside interception. Great catch. But uh, do something with your jet motion, guys. If you're not going to give them the ball, that's my that's my ask of, of all 32 teams right now.
6: It's a great point, and Doug Peterson used to call it star motion, and they were really the first team in the super the Super Bowl year that was really incorporating that hyper fast. Um, I always get horizontal and vertical mixed up but that horizontal sprint you know what <laughs> yes. I'm saying um, yep. and yeah with Darren Sproles and they would call that star motion um, I think they ran they used that star motion on the go ahead touchdown to Ertz that they won the Super Bowl on but that is sort of a modified arena concept right where you want your playmaker at full speed by the time he gets the ball and a lot of guys like Matt Nagy have coached in the arena league like that where you know in the arena league you're allowed to run guys up to a full sprint before you snap the ball so they're Already going cooking with full head of steam, but you're right. It, there's no the NFL field is such where, unless you're running that to the wide field, your guy isn't going to be able to turn that into a more functional route. And so, I think that teams are kind of missing, misinterpreting or mishandling the best part about that star motion or whatever you want to call it. And they're not really doing the right things um, that they could be doing with it. And I think making it into even more of a weapon, but yeah, this is a uh, This is a granular discussion here for the people who uh, were lucky enough to make it this deep into the pod.
5: (laughs) Also, I was reflexively and politely going to say I also mix up horizontal and vertical sometimes.
6: (laughs) Do you? Uh, It's not just me. No,
5: no, no. I I, I don't. (laughs) No no one does, Connor. You should feel great shame for that.
6: (laughs) Damn it. Uh.
5: Let's <laughs> let's go Steelers Broncos. Uh, look at kind of a Big Ben throwback game. Uh, so still not you know it's it's not quite uh, 2015 Ben or whatever your favorite version of Ben Roethlisberger was. But uh, you know got got to to the down a couple of times. Hit Deontay Johnson uh, on a touchdown on one of those. He got an 84 yard catch and run TD to uh, Chase Claypool, who looks like he is while limited, uh sort of has a has a DK Metcalf type of flavor as far as like just a size speed guy who's just an absolute nightmare for uh, uh for, for opposing defensive backs. And you know, this, this game, especially once Drew Locke went down and Jeff Driscoll came in, it, it was probably a little uncomfortably close down the stretch. But, you know, coming off that Monday night opener, short week, uh still sort of working out some of the kinks here, Steelers get a get a get a win and that's what matters.
6: Boy, I'll tell you what, um, I think there's going to be a lot of upset people. I might have brought this up on this pod a few weeks ago, if not another pod, but that William Hill, the betting service, um, sent us that email. I think it was right before the season started that the Broncos accounted for 84% of of over-under bettors this preseason. And I think they were at eight wins and people were just pounding the over on the Broncos. Like they thought that the Broncos with the addition of Melvin Gordon drew lock going four and zero down the stretch. Like that is, if you talk to like gambling sharps, that is what you look for is like a developing quarterback. Who's still a little bit of an enigma and that's the, where the smart money goes, but wow, we it's going in the complete opposite direction. And if, especially if he's out for all six, they're, they're thinking like three to six weeks on this, um, you know, that's a team that's going to, uh, you know, that 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 could get ugly fast, and you feel bad because I think that they're building a lot of this roster the right way, you know, but John Elway is serially impatient, and, you know, are you going to keep Vic Fangio around for a third year? I don't know. I mean, I would hope so, given that, uh, like me, he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania, so... <laughs>
5: I was gonna say you got to keep this Granton guy, and uh, they might be in the same position next year, where they where they finish four and 5 and zero down the stretch. Once they get the lineup back together, and then everyone can bet the over again uh, next year <laughs> when it's I don't know, maybe it's like seven. Uh Colts Vikings look this was uh the soon to be Super Bowl 55 champion Indianapolis Colts I was expecting to see this season uh this defense look it, it was Jacksonville and it was Minnesota those, those are not uh uh you know the the 2007 Patriots but this defense was utterly dominant in this game. They were really good against Jacksonville. I mean, they 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 gave 175 yards. They had uh, uh, one of them was a hail mary, so we'll, we'll call it three takeaways here. And uh, uh, more importantly, Philip Rivers just played mistake free in this game. His one interception was a ball that uh, bounced off Mo Ali Cox's chest uh, to a defender, and nothing nothing wrong with that. But. Uh, the Colts looked every bit as good as, well, uh, you know, I and a lot of other people thought they'd be, whereas the Vikings, every per, everything you thought might be a problem with the Vikings is a huge problem right now.
6: Yeah. If we start over in Indianapolis, I mean, Taylor is an emerging star, and, you know, they targeted him a ton in that first game and only went to him twice in the passing game this week. And I think what's really cool about Phillip Rivers is how diverse he's, you know, kind of employing his targets, right? I mean, he really liked Paris Campbell in week one, um, but with Paris Campbell down, you get Mo Alley Cox leading the team in targets, then Pittman, then T.Y. Hilton, then Zach Pascal, you know, but that's going to be different every week. And he's so good at sort of distributing the ball like that and being mindful of all that kind of stuff. So I think this offense is is going through um, a period where um, they're just going to make it really hard to game plan for them on a week to week basis. And the Vikings, I mean, at this point, you're you're Dalvin Cook and, and a whole lot of guys. I mean, I, I don't know what else, um, you know, what else you can really say about that
5: it's so difficult to fix things when you are bad at the reactionary positions, defensive backfield, offensive mm-hmm. line. And right now the, the Vikings are just, they're terrible on, on, on both those spots. So, uh, this could be a very long year for, uh, for Minnesota. Uh, Titans go to two and zero. big plays from Tannehill early. They build a big lead, barely hang on actually lose a lead. And Steven Goskowski has to come on and win it for them. So, uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a ton here. Gardner Minshew, if he's playing for his job, which we all kind of think he is uh, not right now, but, you know, looking forward to the 2021 draft. Really good. I mean, really good in this one. And I'm not a big Gardner Minshew guy, but uh, he brought him all the way back. He had two he he led two long touchdown drives in the fourth quarter to tie this one at 30 before uh, uh, the Titans retook the lead. So good on him. He has a mustache.
6: It's uh, it's really interesting to see what uh, he's done with Jay Gruden in particular, and I think that something to keep an eye on there down the stretch is something that, um, you know, when I was writing my coaching list, um, just sort of someone had relayed this nugget to me at some point that Jay was really highly thought of during the coaching search process, I think at some point when the Khan family crossed paths with him. So if they continue to put up like 30 points a game, you know, I would – I would just, you know, kinda make a mental note of that and fold that in your pocket and uh and walk around with it. And then, you know, some mm-hmm. you know, maybe you don't do anything with it, maybe you throw it away, or maybe at some point you can uh say to your friend at a bar when Jake Ruden is coaching the Jaguars in the Super Bowl, hey, I knew this was gonna happen. So
5: <laughs> I had this cocktail and, and how napkin cool would you feel then, right? I've had this cocktail napkin in the back of my jeans for <laughs> eight months now. Here we are. <laughs> Uh, let's go Cardinals, Washington. Uh, look, Arizona moves to two and zero. not to, not a huge surprise here The you know, the, the, whatever Washington football team, they are certainly in a rebuild on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I look, I think the big change with Kyler Murray this year is he is so much better with his legs. He seems to have a, it's just a much more better grasp on, uh what he's doing as a runner as opposed to last year when a lot of times he was just trying to escape around the corner and sort of outrun guys uh i mean he absolutely you know his his 21 yard touchdown run in the uh in the fourth quarter he just you know he's snapping people's ankles out there and um you know if if that's if that's how this offense is going to play uh they're going to put up enough numbers to make up for the defense and and by the way defense which obviously has played well the first two weeks Isaiah Simmons was for all intents and purposes I mean he was just he was exposed in week one and they just didn't really put him on the field very much in week two
6: And that was our biggest fear coming into this. The second that Vance Joseph said that we're not going to be able to use him the way that we use him at Clemson, it just sent, like, chills down my spine. It's like, ugh, putting him with Vance Joseph is like putting, you know, a top-five quarterback with, you know— old Brian Schottenheimer right or something like that you know and you need to approach this in a more imaginative way or else you're just going to have this super athlete sitting on the bench for two years and you're going to trade him to the Patriots and he becomes an all-pro like you know I don't see why you can't design something for him that works but alas this is uh my great uh my great bone to pick with the NFL in general is the underutilization of talent but yeah I don't know I don't know what they're going to do there
5: We'll wrap it up with Lions Packers. Uh, I don't know. I look. Uh, Lions put up points early, and it was kind of like, oh, maybe Matthew Stafford is just going to uh, just will this lifeless corpse to a huge upset victory at Lambeau. And uh, no, that was not the case at all. And this is look. If you wanted to give Matt Patricia another shot, and I understand that uh, you know it's it, you don't want to pull a plug on a coach too early. He wants to bring in his guys. He wants guys you buy into his program, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is this defense continues to be uh, just exceptionally bad. Uh, <laughs> there is they they have the worst pass rush in the NFL. They had no pass rush last year. We thought, well, okay can't be worse than last year. It might be worse than last year. They might have less of a pass rush. They uh, they didn't take the ball away last year. They have zero takeaways for two weeks. I mean, this is uh, you know, <laughs> you think the pass rush and coverage is the problem and they go out there and in this game they they give up 260 yards rushing to the Packers. I mean, it, I, I don't know. I don't know where it goes from here aside from the fact that I guess it can't get worse defensively and you hope that Kenny Galladay comes back and Matthew Stafford just starts putting up 35, 40 points every week.
6: I think that um, the NFL NFL prediction business is a lot like the NFL draft prediction business where uh, at some point, like three months or four months out of the season, you get the most clear headed analysis and what it usually ends up being. And then the closer you get, you just start making stuff up because you're out of stuff to talk about. And I think I noticed that with the Lions because it was like two weeks before the season. It was like, oh, maybe the Lions, you know. The Lions could come back and win this division and surprise a lot of people. And I was just looking around, like I think you're just out of stuff to talk about. I think we're just out of ideas. And we've picked every other team to say that ah, oh, they, maybe they're going to be better than you think they are. But when, once I heard the Lions, I was like, okay, that's uh, that's enough of that. They're they're not going to be good. In this my season. defense,
5: Connor, I've picked the Lions to win this division every year since like 2001.
6: Did you time. really? Did you pick yeah. them to win the division this year?
5: This year, I did. Wow! I don't think I. I don't think I did last year. I did two years ago, um, and I will next year, <laughs> and every year until I <laughs> die at this point. It's it's tradition at this point.
6: It's better to be wrong for a million years and then right when it counts. Because at this point, yep. you're too you're too invested. You know,
5: can't get off the bandwagon now. No sir. Okay. Everyone's going to jump on and seal my seat. <laughs> <laughs> and then or how
6: comfortable are you going to be? <laughs>
5: This, was a, this is a this is a this is a rough Sunday. Too many injuries. Uh, I don't know, but we're healthy. We're talking. We'll have lots of stuff this week. Weekside podcast. Great stuff coming up as always. Uh, that's all we got. That's how I wrap the show, I guess.
6: Uh, yeah. No, but I think uh, I'm at this point. I started talking, so I have to finish a sentence, and I'll just finish <laughs> it by saying, uh, "Great job, Gary." <laughs>
5: The MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Graham, and we are produced by Shelby Royson. SI's executive producer of podcasts podcast is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Keep up with our entire line of the podcast five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals,
3: to start listening.